Greetings, everybody. Thank you so much for stopping by and making Paranormal Prowlers Podcast part of your day. Those amazing tunes, as always, are courtesy of the amazing Bobby Mackey, and I, of course, am your host, Tessa Morrow. In this week's episode, we are going to venture to a handful of states and find out more about some unidentified mysterious creatures that lurk about. First stop is the Alaska Hairy Man. Now you may laugh upon hearing this name like dude is so hairy that he's known as the Alaska Hairy Man, but believe it or not, there's been several sightings that go back decades. Known as Yuri sightings, they scatter about southwestern Alaska, and it is said that this mysterious man stands at least 10 foot tall, and his arms drag down to his ankles. Now, unlike the Kushtaka, which, by the way, is to this very day the number one listened to episode, so if you haven't heard the Kushtaka episode, you really want to go back and check that one out because it's phenomenal. The hairy man of Alaska is not considered a threat to us average folk, and they mean us absolutely no harm. With that being said, many disagree when it comes to Alaska's hairy man and their safety, as several people have gone missing in the area, and some point their finger at Harry Man as the culprit. Well, hello folks, it could have been the Kushtaka. He is said to run extremely fast and is known to jump very long distances, and I mean like over trees and even across wide rivers and what have you. Meanwhile, in Port Chatham, there have been numerous deaths and disappearances in the Kenai Mountains, which started sometime in the 1930s. But weird and mysterious things, well, they've been happening in those mountains before the 30s. Like in 1905, when the area was completely abandoned, when strange things started happening and someone or something was in the forest lurking about and would not leave the locals alone and the workers alone. People, well, they did come back the following year. In 1931, a logger named Andrew Camluck, well, he runs out of luck when he goes logging one day and never returns home. His body is later discovered, sadly, and his head suffering a major blow. Something with major power had to inflict those injuries, that's for sure. An elderly woman named Melania shared that she was born in Port Chatham in 1934 and remembers at a very young age her family struggling and the whole village being absolutely petrified of this mysterious creature that was completely terrorizing their entire village. They referred to it as Nantina, meaning half man, half beast. Now over time, most of the families were chased out or too terrified to stay. Like we saw in the 1905 case, people, they're fleeing from their safety nets. Home, home sweet home, someplace that you should absolutely feel safe, am I right? A local named Tom Larson is out chopping wood one day when he sees this mysterious figure tall and hairy out on the beach. He runs home quickly to retrieve his rifle. 
He soon returns to find that, hey, the creature is still here. They just kind of give each other a stare down. To this very day, he still does not know why he did not fire the rifle. But at least Harry Man didn't run to attack him. They just kind of like went their own ways, I guess. And it is said during World War II that a group of cannery workers went to the mountains to hunt for bear and sheep, and they were never seen again. In 1968, there was a goat hunter who was chased by some type of animal that he just could not identify. And in 1973, three hunters, they took up shelter in the area during a three-day-long storm. And during their time there, they said that every single night, they experienced hearing something large walking all throughout the campsite. It was walking like a human would on two legs. And Aliyut was in a plane one time going through the area and notices a very tall figure standing in the bush right outside the village of Manakatak. There was this giant thing in the trees. He looked like, not quite like a gorilla, but dark and full of hair. I'd say from the trees around him, he's between seven and 10 feet tall. He was looking at us, watching us fly by. He really didn't seem bothered at all, but he was a hairy man, all right. And I didn't want the pilot to go down there and scare the daylights out of him. I figured it would just make the thing go crazy, so I kept it to myself. But he exists, the hairy man, and he looks exactly like he's called. Now, one fall day on Lake Aliana, east of Bristol Bay, a 17-year-old girl named Myrtle, she witnesses seeing the family cat anxiously run up the ladder leading to their roof. And this is quickly followed by an extremely loud crash. Myrtle and her brothers, they anxiously check out the area and see large footprints. And later on that same night, the family's dogs, they begin to bark wildly. Quote, Mom tells the boys to take a bright flashlight and shine it where the dogs are barking. When they did, they saw two really hairy things. They thought it was two bears standing on their hind legs. They come running in saying, Give me a gun, a knife, anything. But my mom says, Don't kill anything. You don't know what they are. They might be human. The boys, they go back out and don't shoot, but they start chasing those things all over the place. They said the things ran like humans, not bears, but were full of hair and they were really fast. They came around three nights in a row, even looked in our windows. Mom said they were probably wild people, and if we don't harm them, they won't harm us. So we never bother them anymore, and they kind of quit coming around. I never saw them, but my brothers sure did. Now, sometime in the mid-1970s, he was spotted yet again outside Lake Iliyama. A bush pilot named Trig Olson says this, the thing was supposed to be as large as some moose standing on its hind legs. And a local man named Jim claimed to have shot Alaska's hairy man. The creature, once being shot, makes an escape, running off into the bush. Jim runs to the area where it was shot and said that the snow was stained with this reddish liquid that resembled transmission fluid. Next up is Arkansas's own Boggy Creek Monster. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, the inspiration behind the Boggy Creek Monster movie series, also known as the Falk Monster. It's an ape-like mysterious creature that has been seen around Falk, Arkansas and roaming about the Ozarks. He is large and tall and completely covered with long, dark, coarse hair. 
has an extremely raunchy stench, piusku, that comes with him. Now, while it is believed to have been around for much earlier, it did not start making headlines in town until 1971. A set of footprints were discovered, and when they were measured, it showed it was 17 inches in length and 7 inches wide, with three toes. Little Rock, Arkansas radio station KAAY posts the $1,090 bounty on the Boggy Creek Monster. Now, seeing dollar signs in their eyes, many people took this challenge very seriously and even brought in dogs, but they could never trail the raunchy scent. Maybe too many people took it seriously, though, as the Miller County Sheriff put a temporary ban of guns in place to keep the locals and the community safe. Now, at least three people are fined with a $59 fine for filing a fraudulent monster report. $59 today, that's $437. In 1955, a young boy saw a large creature covered in dark red hair, and he was just there sniffing the air. It could have been a really bad situation for the kiddo. Thankfully, this was just a sighting and not an attack for the young boy's sake. In early May of 1971, an attack does take place in the Ford home. Elizabeth and Bobby were home, just enjoying the evening, when Elizabeth who had earlier fallen asleep on the couch, suddenly is awoken to see a creature outside a nearby window. On first look, she thinks it's a bear. Now, they hadn't been living there for very long. I believe it was just a couple weeks, so they weren't really familiar with the wildlife and what have you. So, yeah, she thought it was a bear. Well, gunshots, they are fired at the animal by Bobby and his brother, Don. But no evidence of contact with the shot is ever revealed. They did not locate the creature, but did find large footprints bearing three toes, and as well as scratch marks on the porch, and there was also some damage to a window. So who knows, was it trying to get into the house? Was it just curious? What's happening there? I don't know. For several nights, they heard weird sounds very close to the house, too close for comfort. And one night, Bobby, he's sitting on the porch when it's said that the monster violently grabbed his shoulder, shoves him hard to the ground, and he is injured. He is treated at a nearby hospital in Texarkana. And I'm unsure if this is the same night that him and his brother did a little shoot down with this guy, with the monster, or it was a different night when they were hearing sounds. I don't know. Now, later that same month of the Ford attack and encounters, three people witness ape-like creature running across the U.S. Highway 71. And they're not alone. Several reports come pouring in of sightings of this ever-so-bizarre and unidentifiable creature. In 1978 of March, two brothers in Russellville, Arkansas, find very large footprints. And that same year in June, there's an eyewitness account of seeing the monster. During this time in 1978, livestock and dogs, they're either going missing or being brutally attacked. In 1991, The monster is seen yet again by witnesses jumping from a bridge. And in 1997, at least 40 different reports come in of people seeing the Boggy Creek monster. Is he still roaming about in Arkansas to this very day? Next stop on my good old monster list. Hey, we don't even need to cross the border. We're still in Arkansas. It's the White River Monster. There must be something in the air in Arkansas where the monsters are just kind of like, I'm going to chill out here. This is my home. The White River Monster is also known as Whitey. This monster was first discovered right off the banks of the White River, hence its name. Now, sightings began in 1915. 
1973, the Arkansas State Legislature signs a bill, believe it or not, creating the White River Monster Refuge, making it illegal to hunt the monster in the refuge. Quote, it is illegal to molest, kill, trample, or harm the White River Monster while he is in the retreat. Unquote. Unlike the ape-like creature that we know as Boggy Creek Monster in the same state in Arkansas, this one is more on the serpent side. One December day, there was a group of people out on the White River, and they saw this thing resting at the bottom. Quote, they estimated its weight at 300 pounds. The report of the big river monster created quite a sensation among the sportsmen of Branson and Tom Brainerd. One of the local anglers organized the party to go capture it. They took a number of strong ropes, which they will endeavor to read it in the matter. So July 1st, 1915, a plantation owner sees something that he just cannot explain or identify, and it's in the river. He described it as having grayish skin and as wide as one car and as long as three cars. Sometime in 1924, a little rock local sees the creature and describes it as having a dingy gray crusted hide. And in January 1937, several reports of sightings come rolling in. And that same year, another plantation owner named Bramlett claims to have seen it. Quote, the skin of an elephant, four or five feet wide by 12 feet long with the face of a catfish lolling on the surface of the water, unquote. Bramlett feels that this creature is a threat to his crops and he plans to use TNT, but has been denied permission by the authorities. This caused a media frenzy and several people come armed to the gills with machine guns, TNT, and other explosives and what have you. But the creature did not come back to that specific location. Quote, the animal rises to the surface in the late afternoon and floats or swims around 5 to 15 minutes with its head underwater. Bramlett sees opportunity and sets up viewing areas and stations and he charges people a quarter to try to get a glimpse of the ever so mysterious serpent monster. Today that quarter is worth $5.21. Wowza. Nobody ever gets a look of the monster while on Bramlett's property. Well, some believe Bramlett was full of shit and did this as a hoax and an easy way to make money, that did not stop from well over 100 sightings coming through. And I believe people did see something that they could simply not identify or comprehend. Maybe this plantation owner, Bramlett, saw something. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he heard of the hype and just wanted to make a quick buck. And you know what? It worked because he did make a good amount of money doing this. Too bad nobody got to see the creature at one of his viewing stations. In 1966, three people, they are out fishing when they encounter a creature they had never seen before in their entire lives. They claimed it had the tail of mermaids, a very long body, and arm-like flippers, and that the head was shaped like a monkey's. Paints quite the picture, doesn't it, folks? In 1971, sightings, they come in again. When someone described as seeing this mysterious creature and that it was as large as a box car, and noticed that a bone was protruding from its forehead. Now, this bone coming out of the forehead was never described in the other sightings so and descriptions, so I don't know about that, but it's very creepy. Quote, it looked as if the thing was peeling all over, but it was a smooth type of skin or flesh. 
And then it made strange sounds that was a combination of a cow's moo and a horse's neigh. That same year, that being 1971, a man named Cloyce Warren catches the creature on camera. Quapa once resided here and came into contact with the monster and would pass the tale of the monster down generation to generation. And while in the White River, during the Civil War, a Confederate ship is overturned and sinks, and it's believed that the White River monster was the culprit behind that sinking. And at one point, a deputy sheriff sees the creature and describes it as looking like a gigantic catfish. Then we have the incident that took place in Towhead Island. Two gentlemen named Ollie and Joey, well, they're in their boat when it suddenly bumps into something extremely large. And immediately after the intrusion, the boat rises out of the water as they see a back of a large creature emerging from the water. And I found a news article, and it shows a man named Charles Brown. Not Charlie Brown, folks, but Charles Brown. And he is getting ready to search for the sea serpent monster. The title reads, Diver Hunts Sea Monster. And it reads this. Reports of a weird aquatic monster in the waters of White River in Arkansas led to the curious event pictured at the right. Armed with an eight-foot steel spear, a professional diver clad in rubber suit and helmet was lowered to the river bottom in an attempt to locate the strange creature. So far, however, no explanation of the rumors have been discovered. Now we head over to Ojai, California, where the legend of Charman lives. There are different versions to the story. The first one has to do with a fire that took place in 1948, burning and destroying a good part of the town. It destroyed a home that a man and his son lived in. Father, well, he sadly dies due to his injuries, while the son survives, but he is horribly injured. With the devastation of the fire and the loss of his father and his injuries, the young man goes completely and utterly insane. The authorities arrive to see if there's any survivors, and they're completely shocked to see a badly burned deceased man. Now, there was a fire, there were people who lived here, so it's not a shock that somebody is found dead here. Yes, it's sad, but what shocked them was the man looked to be completely skinned. And they are even more shocked when a badly burned young man runs towards them and runs off, but not before attempting to attack them. It is after this incident that the sighting of a charman springs to life. Another story speaks of the same 1948 fire, but instead of a father and son, the victims, well, they are a husband and wife. Their house, it is sadly in flames. The couple, they are trapped. Fast forward, the woman, she is still inside the doomed house, and her husband somehow manages to escape. He is so badly burned, and he is in no position to run away and get help, so he just lies there on his front lawn, a place where he had spent endless hours mowing the lawn, having a barbecue with friends, beautifying the garden, whatever one may do. As he lay there defenseless, he hears his wife, still trapped in the inferno of the once home sweet home, screaming yelling, pleading, crying, desperately yelling, help me, help me. The man could do nothing to save the love of his life as he himself was crippled and could barely move a muscle. She dies. He survives his injuries, but lives in constant pain. And he is extremely deformed because of the fire. He suffers from survivor's guilt and he becomes the char man that people know and fear to this day. 
And yet another version is that a poor unfortunate man was in the wrong place at the wrong time when his car breaks down and a fire takes place and he is disfigured because of that. It's said after the horrible accident, he runs into the nearby woods where he lives, waiting for travelers to pass by to intentionally scare them. Now, several fires would take place in Ojai, California, two alone in 1917, one in June killing five people and destroying 60 buildings, and the other, well, it took place in November. A man named Glenn Hickey left his hardware store open and available for the locals so they could come and get things, you know, any type of equipment or tools that they would need. So the people, they would run inside, grab what they needed to have, toss some money into the register, and be on their way to help try to extinguish the fire. After things calmed down and going back to normal, Glenn, he's in his store, he's counting the money, and after doing a quick inventory in the store, he realizes that there was a hell of a lot more money than there should have been. It seems like the good people of Ojai were extremely grateful and appreciative of Glenn for opening up his store for them to kind of go and do this trust honor system thing. And so they were a little generous and threw some more money than maybe they had to. In 1932, the Matajiha fire made an appearance and stayed for 11 days. When we, of course, have the 1948 fire, yes, that actually did exist. Remember, two of the stories of how Charman came to life was due to the 1948 fire. A whopping 1,500 firefighters fight this thing. The inferno burned over 30,000 acres and took 13 homes to the ground. The culprit behind this huge fire was a busted butane pipe. No report of fatalities are recorded during this fire, though. No man and wife getting burned up. No man and his son getting burned up. So, again, not too sure what's happening there. So what is the real deal with Charman? Is there any ounce of the truth to it? Or is it just a legend that people grew up hearing and continue to tell others to this very day? And it just keeps getting passed on to people. Law enforcement from back in the day share that at some point a man who happened to be badly disfigured from a fire lived in the area and some believe a legend was born due to that fact alone. And it is said that if you go to a nearby bridge and yell, help me, that you will be attacked by the char man. Why someone would be encouraging an attack is beyond me. I mean, who are you, Zach? Some choose to embrace Charman and even have a company making hot sauce with the name. And the hot sauces, they look pretty damn good in my book, including the Caribbean, Original, Picante, Sriracha, and Verde. I love my hot sauces, so I may just have to get me some of those bad boys. Now, venture on over to Utah with me, home of the Bear Lake Sea Monster. Border of Utah and Idaho, really. It is said that the sea monster resembles a large snake. Brown in color, and get this, close to 100 feet long. Yikes. I would stay out of the water. The sea serpent monster dates back to the days when the show shone. They shared tales of the sea creature ever so extremely mysterious and fatal, carrying away full-grown men to their watery deaths. Witnesses throughout time describe this beast as having a large mouth and a very thin head, a long body but very small legs which help it navigate through the lake water. In 1871, a local claimed to have captured what was believed to be a spawn of the sea monster 
Salt Lake City Herald reported this, quote, This latter-day wonder is said to be about 20 feet in length, with a mouth sufficiently large to swallow a man without any difficulty, and is propelled through the water by the action of its tail and legs, unquote. And, in 1868, there is a story in Deseret News, and it reads this, All lakes, caves, and dens have their legendary historics. Bear Lake has a monster tale to tell, and when I have told it, I will leave you to judge whether or not it merits are merely traditionary. The Indians say there is a monster animal which lives in the lake that has captured and carried away Indians while in the lake swimming, but they say it has not been seen by them for many years, not since the buffalo inhabited the valley. They represent it as being of the serpent kind, but having legs about 18 inches long, on which they sometimes crawl out of the water a short distance on the shore. They also say it spurts water upwards out of its mouth. Since the settlement of this valley, several persons have reported seeing a huge animal of some kind that they cannot describe, but such persons have generally been alone when they saw it, and but little credence have been attached to the matter. Until the summer, the monster question had all about died out. About three weeks ago, Mr. S.M. Johnson, who lived on the east side of the lake at a place called South Eden, was going to the Sound Valley Settlement, six miles to the south of this place, and when about halfway, he saw something in the lake which at the time he thought to be a drowned person, the road being some little distance from the water's edge, so he rode to the beach, and the waves were running high. He thought it would soon wash into shore. In a few minutes, two or three feet of some kind of an animal that he had never seen before was raised out of the water. He did not see the body, only the head and what he'd supposed to be part of the neck. It had ears or bunches on the side of its head, as large as a pint cup. The waves, at times, would dash over its head when it would throw water over its mouth or nose. It did not drift landward, but appeared stationary with the exception of turning its head. Mr. Johnson thought a portion of the body must lie at the bottom of the lake, or it would have drifted with the action of the water. This is Mr. Johnson's version, as he told me. The next day, an animal of a monster was seen near the same place by a man and three women, who said it was swimming when they first saw it. They represented as being very large, and say it swam much faster than a horse could run on the land. These recent discoveries, again, revived the monster question. Those who had seen it before brought in their claims anew and many people began to think the story was not altogether moonshine. On Sunday last, as N.C. Davis and Alan Davis of St. Charles and Thomas Slight and J. Collings of Paris, with six women, were returning from Fish Haven, when about midway from the latter, named place to St. Charles, their attention was suddenly attracted to a peculiar emotion or waves in the water, about three miles distant. The lake was not rough, only a little disturbed by a light wind. Mr. Slight says he distinctively saw the sides of a very large animal that he was supposed to be not less than 90 feet in length. Mr. Davis doesn't think he saw any part of the body, but is positive it must have been not less than 40 feet in length, judging by the wave it rolled upon both sides of it as it swam and the wake it left in the rear. It was going south, and all agreed that it was swam with speed almost incredible to their senses. Mr. Davis says he never saw a locomotive travel faster, and thinks it made a mile a minute easy. And a few minutes after the discovery of the first, 
The second one followed in its wake, but seemed to be much smaller, appearing to Mr. Slight about the size of a horse, a large one and all, and six small ones had southward out of sight. One of the large ones, before disappearing, made a sudden turn to the west, a short distance, then back to its former track. At this turn, Mr. Slight says he could distinctly see it was a brownish color. They could judge somewhat of their speed by observing known distances on the other side of the lake, and all agree that the velocity with which they propelled themselves through the water was astonishing. They represent the waves that rolled up in front and each side of them as being three feet high from where they stood. This is substantially their statement, as they told me. Davis and Slight are prominent men, well known to this country, and all of them are reliable persons whose veracity is undoubted. I have no doubt they will be willing to make affidavits to their statement. There you have the monster story so far as completed, but I hope it will be concluded by the capture of one sometime. If so large an animal exists in this altitude and so small a lake, what could it be? It must be something new under the sun. The scriptural text to the contrary, notwithstanding. Is it fish, flesh, or serpent? Amphibious and fabulous, or a big giant fish? Give it up, but have hopes of someday seeing it. If it really exists, and I have no reason to doubt the above statements, here is an excellent opportunity for some company to bust Barnum on a dicker for the monster, if they can only catch one. Already some of our settlers talk of forming a joint stock arrangement and what they can do to business. I have already extended this letter beyond the limit I designed. The health of the people is good and everything satisfactory. Signed, J.C.R. I like when I find stories and accounts like this because it gives us an inside glance with details from eyes that have actually witnessed these types of things. People who were actually there, not like, oh, I heard Joe Blow talk about this or whatever, you know. And the account that I had just read to you is back from 1868. In 1881, Deseret News once again reports on the Bear Lake Sea Monster. A lot shorter of an article. While on the way from Fishhaven, a number of the party saw what they supposed was the celebrated Bear Lake Monster. It was described as a large, undulating body with about 30 feet of exposed surface of a light cream color moving swiftly through the lake at a distance of three miles from the point of observation. Now, in 1907, there is a sighting. The Logan Republican reported this. It was now close enough for us to see that it was some water monster, then started towards us like a mad elephant. Before we could move, he grabbed at the horse with his two front paws, opened its teeth into it like a bull terrier would a mouse, and after tearing the horse badly, he made an awful howl, and then he was gone. That would have been horrible to see. Sheesh. Now, there were a few more sightings in 1937 and then in 1946 as well. And in 2002, a business owner in Bear Lake named Brian claimed to have seen the monster one June evening as he was anchoring his boat. He saw two large humps coming out of the lake, then saw a creature resembling a large serpent leaping out of the water. Brian described it as being very dark and slimy green and had these deep beet red eyes. So what exactly is the Bear Lake Sea Monster? Some think this may be a crocodile or an alligator, while others believe it to be a snake. 
But remember, people are putting this creature at 90 feet long. There's just no way that it could be a crocodile or an alligator. And yeah, we have some pretty large, long snakes, but there's just no way. Rock pythons, they can grow up to being as long as 16 and a half feet. King cobra and the invasive species of the Burmese python, they can grow up to be 19 feet. The Cuban boa, 20 feet. The Indian python, 21 feet. And again, these are the largest size that they get. It's not like they're all that size. The reticulated python can grow to almost 33 feet. Same with the green anaconda. Then we have the granddaddy of snakes, the Titanoboa. Dating back 60 million years, my friends, this prehistoric snake got up to a whopping 43 feet. So even if you put two of those big boys, those prehistoric big boys together, who no longer exist, mind you, that we know of, the Bear Lake monster is still supposedly bigger by four feet. This ain't no snake. Now, some accounts claim the sea monster to be closer to 40 feet versus 90 feet. Now, remember, one account said that they saw several of them almost like a family somewhere on the smaller side. So maybe the big one was 90 feet, the others were 40, but still 40 feet and 90 feet, that's a huge difference. Even then, 40 feet is still incredibly long and is still too long for our friend, the anaconda. Is Titanoboa lurking about the depths of Bear Lake? And last but certainly not least is the tombstone monster. Yep, the town too tough to die didn't only have the likes of the Clantons and the McLaurys and the rest of the Cochise County Cowboys and Holiday and the Earps and throw in some Frank Leslie in there. No, it also may have been home to a very mysterious creature. The Tombstone Epitaph releases this interesting bit in their paper on the 26th day of April in 1890. Quote, a winged monster resembling a huge alligator with an extremely elongated tail and an immense pair of wings was found on the desert between the Whetstone and Huachuca Mountains last Sunday by two ranchers who are returning home from the Huachucas. The creature was evidently greatly accosted by a long flight and one discovered was able to fly, but a short distance at a time. After the first shock of wild amazement had passed the two men, who were on horseback and armed with Winchester rifles, regained sufficient courage to pursue the monster, and after an exciting chase of several miles, succeeded in getting near enough to open fire with their rifles and wounding it. The creature then turned on the men, but owing to its exhausted condition, they were able to keep out of its way, and after a few well-directed shots, the monster partly rolled over and remained motionless. The men cautiously approached their horses snorting with terror and found that the creature was dead. They then proceeded to make an examination and found that it measured about 92 feet in length and the greatest diameter was about 50 inches. The monster had only two feet, those being situated a short distance in front of where the wings were joined to the body. The head, as the nearest they could judge, was about eight feet long, the jaws being thickly set with strong, sharp teeth. Its eyes were as large as a dinner plate and protruded about halfway from the head. They had some difficulty in measuring the wings as they were partly folded under the body, but finally got one strained out sufficiently to get a measurement of 78 feet, making the total length from tip to tip 
about 160 feet. The wings were composed of a thick and nearly transparent membrane and were devoid of feathers or hair, as well as the entire body. The skin of the body was comparatively smooth and easily penetrated by a bullet. The men cut off a small portion of the tip of one wing and took it home with them. Late last night, one of them arrived in the city for supplies and to make the necessary preparations to skin the creature. Then the hide will be sent east for examination by the eminent scientists of the day. The finder returned early this morning, accompanied by several prominent men who will endeavor to bring the strange creature to the city before it is mutilated. So these two men, you know, they're traveling back to Tombstone after a trip in the mountains when they see this gigantic creature that kind of like resembles a dragon, if you will, with these huge wings. They're Winchesters, they do the job, and they shoot that creature down. Now, some people actually believe this to be a hoax, as this was the only local paper that reported on such an incident. Something like this would have been all over the place, especially so close to home. But it looks like the epitaph was the only one. So some believe that this may not have actually happened. And I guess it's one of those things that you just kind of have to judge it on your own. Did it really happen or is it fake? Was it a hoax? Either way, it's entertaining. So today we covered several different phenomenal creatures that we still have no idea what they are. So next time you go out for a walk in the woods, in the mountains, in the desert, wherever you're at, at the lake, just keep an eye open. You might see something that shouldn't really be there. Something that your eyes could not comprehend. This week's special city shoutouts go to Elkhart, Indiana, Delhi, Indiana, Reston, Virginia, Beeston, England, and St. Albans, New York, so in Queens. Everybody, as always, it is greatly appreciated. Thank you so much for stopping by and making Paranormal Prowlers Podcast part of your morning, day, night, whenever you're listening and wherever you're listening from. It is absolutely appreciated. Every single one of you are rock stars in my book. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Listen to the others. They're equally awesome. Haven't heard every single one yet? And no need to fret, just hit up any of those awesome podcast platforms such as Apple Podcasts, CastBox, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Player FM, TuneIn Radio, Blueberry. Basically, wherever you may roam to listen to your other spooky podcasts, you'll probably find Paranormal Prowlers podcasts lurking in the background. Do you have a story of your own to share? Maybe you'd like to be a future voiceover for an episode that doesn't even exist yet. The possibilities, they are endless. Please find me on Twitter at Paraprow or Paranormal Prowlers Podcast Facebook page, or you can email me at paraprowl at gmail.com. Thanks, everyone, and we will see you next week. And be careful for the monsters.